listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 106 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast. We can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Ovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Hassan Godwin and Lathan Conger III. Our guest tonight began his film journey working in makeup and special effects before moving into film and theater direction. However, he's probably best known for his work as a production designer on The Blair Witch Project before writing and directing several Blair Witch mythology-based specials. He then formed Visible Man Productions, creating branded content, found footage, and subversive advertising in support of existing IP like Hellboy, True Blood, and Audi. More recently, he co-wrote and directed the 10-part horror fiction podcast for Shudder called Video Palace. He also created and hosts a podcast focused on film cinematography called The Cinematography Podcast. Go out and find it. Ben Rock, welcome back to Cinematic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. That's, uh, I think uh, the last time you were here, I, uh, we, we threw a bunch of uh, Blair Witch-related questions at you because we didn't know you but i feel we know you a little better now having had you on for an episode and 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 picking your brain on a couple of uh interesting film choices and uh you came back with a couple uh more mainstream film choices this time around and uh i think we can all be i wouldn't say thankful for it, but definitely the the choices are, are very positive in our minds so oh, uh, next, next time I'll, I'll i'll find some way out shit that like no one's ever heard of <laughs> <laughs> awesome excellent something to look forward to yeah <laughs> uh so let's uh we'll first suffer from consumption uh lay you want to go yeah my list is short uh even though i thought it was going to be long after my trip up north to my friend joe and his massive horror collection but we oh didn't. yeah how'd that go uh well the trip was good um we didn't really we i had a list of stuff that i wanted to watch we just had, never ended up watching anything but what we did watch was a dvd of previews of 80s movies and we watched it for like three hours and if there was an (laughs) 80s movie on there that was relevant they had the preview for it and a lot of them were like bad like science fiction and horror b movies and it was it was fun to watch and see like who was in these movies and who was uh you know how they fashioned the previews and how they tried to sell a real bad idea or a a good idea with no budget into a good preview is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we watched that. Um, and then other than that, um, my daughter and I were almost done with the first season of the expanse, which is awesome. Um, and almost done with the fourth season of ER. And uh, I think we have one episode less to, uh, left of each of those shows. And then I've got one episode left of the boys season two, which I just adore, absolutely adore. So, um, which I say every week, it's probably getting repetitive and boring. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I didn't really uh, watch any other TV. There is a new um, documentary on Netflix about uh, a, 
a kill a child killer in Ireland that I really want to see. And the name is escaping me right now, but it looks fantastic. Yeah, there's been a couple of them that have come on recently, a couple of new true crime things. They didn't seem to have the same kind of profile that some of the last handful have. But uh, Sarah or something, right? Yeah, I think um, that's it. Yeah. yeah, it looked looked great. It looked like they really... I saw a net for it. I forgot all about it. Because it uh, it's probably today, right? On the 30th. I, I think, yeah, I think I saw an alert for it either today or yesterday, right? And there you go. Uh, Hassan, what do you got? Uh, what did we do last week? Oh, uh, I started watching The Good Fight, which the first episode was last Thursday. Uh, the last episode of Beast. Uh, of what? Which was was the last episode of Clarice. Oh, oh yes. The very last. <laughs> it didn't get picked up? Uh, apparently not. Uh, no, a beer, it's, it fell into a well of bureaucratic red tape, and therefore it's probably not going to be renewed. Uh, maybe they can fuse it with Hannibal and, and bring them, them back somehow. Boy, that would this, be I nice. Said the same thing. Yeah, I said the same exact thing, hopefully, but who knows? Probably not, because... That would be something really cool and intelligent, and they're not known for making choices that way. Um, <laughs> in a in bad batch, and Saturday, I think Saturday, I started watching Bosch. Oh, and no, I started watching before. You started watching that last week. Last week, I finished it Saturday. You finished it Saturday, yeah, because they dropped the yeah. the final season on either Friday, th- Thursday, or Friday morning, and I I watched the entire season that after that morning. I, I, I just only I, it's only t- uh, eight episodes. It's kind oh, of wow, that's quick. Huh? But I, I I blasted through it in in one day, and I was I, you know sad to see it go. Um, happy that its sequel has been picked up for on IMDb, but uh, you know I'm 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 happy with how it worked itself out. Yeah, and after that, uh, and then I watched the, the Lincoln Lawyer again. Oh, because uh. Because that's his brother, um, so uh, canon in the book, the Lincoln lawyer is his brother. Uh, uh, oh, really? I don't think they're brothers. Yeah. They're related in some manner, but I don't think they're actually brothers. He's the the son of uh, Bosch's father. He's the other son. Oh, he's a half brother. Father. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I had no idea. I knew that there was yeah, a relationship they- between. Uh, Mickey and and Bosch, but I couldn't. I didn't think it was that as that direct. Yeah, I went on a Connolly uh, rabbit hole yeah. right after. It's that. easy, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I watched the Lincoln Lawyer again. Maybe down in Makani will show up new show, but yeah, right? they, they might, there's, there's, there's <laughs> probably that, that would be way yeah, too talk, meta. <laughs> yeah, but there's talk about the character showing up. They were supposed oh. to have a. They were supposed to be a Lincoln Lawyer TV show. But COVID destroyed it. Oh, so I didn't know that. you know, it, so he he wrote another Lincoln Lawyer novel, just kind of despite <laughs> them for canceling the. According to him, according to the one of his interviews, so I watched the Lincoln Lawyer. Then I watched all of uh, as in today. I'm watching the last episode as of today of uh, Goliath. Oh, you did start um, Goliath. Yeah. How is that it? That shows fucking crazy. Okay, um, good. Let's just say. Uh, I don't know if it's crazy in a good way. The first season is really, really strong as a uh, as a legal drama. Then it's 
to go down some natural rabbit holes and some weird, some other weird stuff. Um, that to uh, to 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 anyone who decides, it's definitely worth seeing. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, Bill Thornton who is you know, it's you know, he's he's his usual, uh, yeah. his usual except uh, you know, exceptional actor in this. And the the rest of the cast, they're getting one season to close it out. So it's so it's three seasons so far, four seasons, four seasons coming up. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> no, whether I can recommend it or not, it's very strange. I, I definitely want to check it out. Yeah. Um, but you'll see what I mean, where it's just kind of like, where are they going? What are they doing? You know, especially this third season. This third season is like an ass trip. So, you know, <laughs> good luck. And so, and then I watched, uh, I watched our two movies. I also watched uh, uh, Mortal Engine again for our movie on Tuesday. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, which was it was grudging, begrudgingly watched that in first. Uh, um, it's a beautiful movie, though. Oh yeah, Very, uh, visually impressive. It's just, it's just kind of I don't know. It's a by, paint by the numbers, uh, epic. You know, want to be epic, yeah. so it, uh, none of it works. None of the pieces work. So that, uh, and, that's and it's me. like the old joke where it's like you know they you know they show her at the beginning and she's got the scarf over her face hiding this horrible disfigurement and when you finally unveil it you're like that's it oh okay <laughs> yeah well, well it's the like, thing right it's the yeah. it's like the Peter old it's, thing it's, it's the old Jack Kirby Doctor Doom thing where you know where it's like his idea for Doctor Doom was he wore this armor because he was horribly disfigured and he couldn't stand to be looked behind by by anyone. And when he finally his face is finally revealed, he's this absolutely beautiful human being, and he has this tiny little scar on his cheek. But he's uh, so horribly disfigured that he can't allow himself to be seen by anyone. Oh wow! <laughs> and that was like Kirby's original idea for Doctor Doom, and I thought that that was fucking brilliant when I heard that. That is brilliant. Well, they can't really. I mean, it's the same with uh, it's the same with Game of Thrones. They can't really show Peter Dinklage for six more seasons with no nose. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not on television. Yeah, which is basically the injury he sustains in the book. Uh, right, right. It, like half his face gets torn off, so it just makes him makes it worse. It makes being dwarf worse. So they did the scar in Game of Thrones, but it was you know it's yeah. Eventually, the scar kind of fades into his features, yeah. and you know you get to continue seeing Peter Dinklage, you know, fully intact. It's the same thing if they gave if they gave what's your name that that wound that's in the book. For mortal illness. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the injury is. So she's missing an eye and and half her nose, and it goes it goes all the way diagonal across her face. Oh, okay. So you know, that's fair enough. It is what it is. I I, I don't want to you know cater to the vanity society, but I don't know if anybody would want to watch that. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so, so yeah. Yeah, so that's that's me. That was it's up to. And uh, so we've uh, we've suffered enough. So for Ben's uh, initial film choice, Miller's Crossing. From the makers of Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, a world where nothing is what it seems to be. Leo, is he still the boss? The day I back down from a fight, Casper's welcome to the rackets. This town and my place at the table. Casper. Can he muscle in? I'm sick of taking a strap from you, Leo. Tom, would he sell out a friend? You shouldn't be confronting Jenny Casper. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Verna, 
Is she Leo's girl? What did you tell Leo? I told him you were a tramp and he should dump you. I want everybody to be friends. You, me, Leo, the Dane. The Dane. Has he got it figured? You dumping Leo for the guy who put a bullet in your brother? Bernie, will he turn the tables? Don't smart me. I want to watch you squirm. I thought you said you didn't care about Leo. I said we were through. It's not the same thing. Albert Finney, Gabriel Byrne, Marsha Gay Harden, John Turturro. I can't die. I'm in the woods. I can't die No one is what they seem to be at Miller's Crossing. From 1990, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, with a running time of 115 minutes. A crime boss's aide-de-camp in, in, in a Prohibition-era city works to keep the peace between two battling crime bosses. Switching sides and working behind the scenes, he attempts a big play. Will he be successful, and what's his actual endgame? Ben, why'd you pick Miller's Crossing? Uh, it is uh, probably one of my three favorite movies ever made, and I feel like uh, in the Coen Brothers filmography, which is cluttered with masterpieces, it's the masterpiece that I feel like tends to get overlooked. You know, it comes right after Raising Arizona, right before Barton Fink. Um, it's the last movie that Barry Sonnenfeld shot for them. Uh, right. It's a lot. Uh, uh, lot. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and and honestly, it, it's just it's it's a movie that uh, when I first saw it, uh, I saw it, I saw it in the theater. In the uh, I, I, had a, I had a really weird blind date. Um, and in the middle of the movie, there was a fire alarm that got pulled or something at the theater and they evacuated the theater. So we didn't finish seeing the movie, me and my blind date. And, um, and so I had to track it down on video a little bit later. And it's, I, I owned it on VHS. I own it on DVD. I own it on Blu-ray. Like it's some, it's a movie that I find myself <laughs> returning to. I, and I, and I feel not a tinge of guilt for buying it multiple times. Um, I think every performance is spot on. Uh, uh, there's only one flaw in the movie and it's a continuity error in a mirror that gets broken. Um, and that's literally the only flaw, the only problem I have with it. I literally noticed that for the first time this watching. I've thought about for my own edification, bringing that in and using like after effects or something to fix it. So it's the same <laughs> broken mirror in both. I really, that's, I've that's seriously thought about doing it. In the uh, women's, uh, the ladies, uh, yeah powder yeah okay yeah gabriel Byrne throws a throws a like a shot glass at marcia gay harden and it shatters the mirror behind her cuts back to him cuts right back to her and it's such a fast cut that it's like you can like clearly remember that the mirror didn't look like that um um i think it's also a movie that got buried because if i'm not mistaken it literally came out the same day as goodfellas um and goodfellas you know also you know uh, an, an amazing movie, maybe my Another favorite modern. Scorsese yeah. film, um, and also a, a mob movie. And this movie is kind of a riff on all mob movies. It's kind of like a meta commentary on mob movies. And I, uh, when I watch it now, I feel like I was stupid for missing this. But the movie has an on-screen love triangle between Gabriel Byrne, Albert Finney, and Marcia Gay Harden, all of whom love each other in different ways. And then there is an off-screen gay love triangle between uh, John Tutoro, uh, 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 Steve C Buscemi, Chimmy and, and J.E. Friedman. Yeah. yeah, and 
I never caught that when I first saw the movie. Uh, and years later, I was like, wait a minute. Like, holy crap. Are they, are they like, it, I, it, it's less of a power move to do today. But in 1990, to have, right. to, to have a mob movie with gay characters in it uh, was, I, I, I'm willing to bet money that probably the executives were unaware that that was even happening in it. Because it, it's, it's very subtle. It's, very, very subtle. It's subtle, but it's it's really well done. One of the few actors I've ever been like super starstruck when I met um, was John Polito, who plays Johnny Casper in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's because of that. I think Johnny Casper's like one of one of maybe my all time favorite antagonists in a movie because I actually what they do is such a magic trick. He's a psychopath. He's an awful person, and by the end of the movie, you like him. You, yeah. you almost don't want anything bad to happen to him, yep. even though he's a murderous monster person. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. And the more you dig into it, just, I mean, to me, like I can watch that movie over and over again. I'll pick up new things. The, the Danny boy sequence where, uh, where Casper sends some guys over to whack Leo and it, and it's all set to the move to the song. Danny boy is like one of the most perfectly choreographed, like yeah. super violent mob, shoot him up scenes but like really violent and and ends with like the most iconic mob imagery ever and uh yeah i mean to me there's just nothing not to love about the movie and it also still has their fucked up sense of humor like you know the the oh, scene where, where, the, where the little kid finds rug daniels dead and pulls his toupee <laughs> off or yeah, whatever oh, yeah. with it and you think they about stole like his hair, Tom? That's so peculiar. <laughs> Maybe it was engines. <laughs> Maybe it was engines. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, it's uh, with the exception of the mirror, it is a a one hundred percent flawless movie. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about it. I wouldn't recast a single role, which is actually interesting because the guy who played Nathan Arizona in Raising Arizona, uh, his name yeah. is Trey Wilson. He was supposed to play Leo, and he died of like a heart attack, like a week before they started shooting. And Albert Finney was a last minute replacement. Yeah. I can't imagine anyone but Albert Finney playing that role. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's weird. Yeah, I, I I have seen this movie. I can guarantee that I've seen this movie more than any other of the Coen Brothers films, and I'm a I'm a big fan of their work. Uh, I've mm-hmm. missed a, I've missed a few of their more recent films, but uh, all of their old stuff uh, we would go and see as soon as it came out. I mean, after after Blood Simple, it was just like there. As far as I was concerned they they could they, it was their it was their job to lose that they, they could really do no wrong as filmmakers you know it was their you know you waited you waited for the stumble you waited for that one to come along that just eh, wasn't that good and it and it didn't happen for a really really long time and this movie when i when i watch this again and i, and I, I this is probably i don't know maybe the 10th or 15th time i've seen it start to finish i mean you always catch bits and pieces of films over over long periods of time but the uh, purposely going to watch this movie this movie the 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 dialogue in this movie every single scene is mm. just absolute gold it's like every single interaction between any of the characters all the little setups like when he walks in his house and the phone's ringing and he sits down and he's sitting across the chair and he and he's answering he blah 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 and he hangs up the phone and he just goes hey bernie and he realized that the whole time that Taturo's been sitting in the chair in front of him and i looked specifically this time 
to see if you could even see like the curve or the top of his head through the chair or anything, a knee, nothing. You see nothing, nothing in the shot before. And it's just, it's so well handled. And then, like you said, there's just every single part of this movie is just is magic and it's like you just you just get sucked in from that first scene from that first ice cube landing in that glass mm-hmm. and just hits and just spins around and i always it just gets my interest every single time on that opening shot of that of that rocks glass and dropping the ice cube in you know and then they go through the whole thing and then there's that beautiful opening sequence that ends with the hat blowing away down through the thing of trees that um the joel cohen apparently said that he had a dream and that's when he, the first time he envisioned that sequence was he saw that sequence in his head. And so he wanted to make sure that he made it a part of the film uh, was to have that scene with the hat blowing away down between the trees. And there's another line in this movie that I think of right up there with the number of like film quotes that comes into my head, just in, in normal everyday stuff. And, and it, it's nothing more foolish than a man chasing his hat. And I just that there's something about that line. Every time my hat is ever blown off uh, in a, in a, in a uh, being out and about or something, I look down at my hat and I'm just like nothing more foolish than a man chasing his hat. You know, I just I can't not think of that line. That's funny. I stumbled across. I was probably 10 years ago now. I was flipping channels and a 1942 film noir was coming on TCM. And I had never seen it before, so I just decided to watch it. And I had knew nothing about it. Uh, and it was a movie called The Glass Key from 1942. And based on the Dashiell Hammett book of the same name, uh, it is essentially Miller's Crossing. Uh, they took a big chunk of the story, uh, characters, and elements from that movie for Miller's Crossing. I was like, I'm literally watching this film, and I'm going this is Miller's crossing. What I really, why have I never heard of this? And it turns out that um, this was a huge influence on them as well as an earlier Dashiell Hammett story called red harvest, which also became uh, listed as source material for Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo among, among many other films. And also strangely enough with the star Wars connection, it's the reason why, uh, Lucas used the the work title Blue Harvest yeah. for, for oh, Star Wars was because he was a play on Red Harvest. Mm. This this is a this is a Dashiell Hammett story from the twenties that's apparently so well known, and I knew nothing about any of these. And it's so it it, it was a year. It was like a, a, a huge like eye opening experience for me of like that that body of work and kind of how it came to influence so much of what we all know now in like the, you know, the, the gangsters and film noir and all that kind of stuff. But if you haven't seen a glass key, track it down and, and check it out. Cause yeah, you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's short. It's like, you know, it's like a typical movie from the forties. It's, you know, less than 90 minutes long, but it's, it's a, it's a, a much less convoluted version of this story. Um, oh wow! The Barton brothers really, or the Barton brothers, the the Cohen brothers, <laughs> really um, <laughs> uh, spruced this up uh, and made it and uh, made it a whole different animal. But when you're watching that movie, especially if you didn't know anything going in, but watching it and you're just like, wow! Why you'd be like, why would I know? Why do I know this? I know the story. They apparently wrote this screenplay for Barton Fink because they hit 
a block on writing the script yeah. for Miller's Crossing. So they took a break for three weeks and wrote the script for Barton Fink about a guy with writer's block. <laughs> and it's one of the reasons why the hotel in Miller's Crossing is called the Barton Arms because yep. they had written the Barton. So they were like, there's a bunch of little in jokes back and forth between those two screenplays based on, you know, characters and stuff like that. So can I tell you my, my favorite wacky in joke in Miller's Crossing? It's sure. such an inside, inside, inside joke. So originally the Dane was going to be played by Peter Stormari, who they right. hadn't, I don't think worked with yet. And the character was called the Swede. And then Peter <laughs> Stormari couldn't do it because he was playing Hamlet at, at, at a, uh, in a theater. So they changed the character to the Dane after Hamlet. That's hysterical. Wow. To Eddie Dane. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I did, I did have a note on. about... When he's when in the ancillary material of Fargo, Strohmeyer tells a story about his almost working with the Coens uh, for well, basically what Ben just said. Yeah, but I'm tell he kind of tells it from his perspective of of hate the the Hamlet person, like the you know what he had to do uh, in sound on working with the Cohen brothers. So, but his yeah. perspective is funny. But the, the Ben story is funnier. <laughs> that's a better yeah. rendition of it <laughs> yeah uh latham what do you think of miller's crossing well yeah i mean <clears throat> i was excited to see it uh just based on raising arizona and blood simple i'd seen both in the theater loved them both and you know raising arizona still is one of my favorite movies and at the time i was just so enamored with it i'd make people like go see it i think i saw it three or four times in the theater so when this came out I was, uh, you know, raring to go opening night or opening weekend, and uh, I wasn't disappointed. Um, I owe, I think the reason I like it is, you know, you give Co the Coens enough credit for how they wrote it and how it's plotted and, you know, how the, the great, like, twists back and forth with Gabriel Byrne's character. That, that's what I, that's like half of why I love it. I just think Barry Sonnenfeld just, brings this movie home i mean the cinematography in this is is never never boring it's always kinetic i i always remember the shots from under the bed when he shoots the guys mm. in the legs <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to my mind when this movie's mentioned and i i just you know it, it, it seemed you know they call it a neo-noir and i i never viewed it as that when i saw it i just thought it was a great period piece uh with just just really it's a long it's almost two hours but it's lean it's really lean there's no throwaway scenes there's no moments where you're you know waiting for action to move forward it's just very very well edited and put together i think it's kind of funny that they had writer's block when it you know they had a lot of source material it sounds like to put this together they should have just gone back to that to end, to end the writer's block um but it's, you know, it's great. There's no, no weak point in the movie. I didn't, I didn't catch that editing mistake actually that you guys did. So with the mirror and I'm usually pretty attentive. Uh, I guess that's just how much I, I'm into this. You'll never be able to unsee it again. Now go watch that scene. And you'll be <laughs> oh, like, no, I'm, no, I'm going to after we're done tonight. I have to now. I probably only seen this probably three or four times. Like, all the way through i saw it twice in the theater and then made this watching it maybe one after that but you know the the shots in the forest uh, i mean there's just so much like myth surrounding all the stuff going on in this movie too and 
and heroes journeys and stuff like that, that it's just, you know, someone had a real good, uh, I don't remember the exact person who quoted it, but they said, it's like, it's like you're watching the film and you're like floating watching it. You just, you're just traveling through this story and, and it's never like rough. It's it in the terms of how, how it's presented to you. And the violence is never like wasted. The, the dialogue is great. You know, Turturro, it's a career performance from him. Um, I, I could go on and on, but you guys have said most of how I, you know, agreed with most of how I felt about it. It's just, it's fantastic. And one of the Coen's best, easily top three for me. I, the one thing that I can never unsee now after, after this viewing, and I wouldn't have known had I not read about it before going in, uh, was the Albert Finney cameo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, when they first walk into the women's restroom, the, he's the yeah. he's the large woman in black and white. And uh, I never noticed that before. And that was like, that's like literally the first time I found out about it. Now I'm like, holy yeah. shit. How, yeah. do, how did I, you know, I, yeah, you're not looking at those people when they, and he comes storming in. You're just looking at him. The yeah, coin yeah. Brothers, which is when he was done filming, he just wouldn't leave. He enjoyed himself so much that he wouldn't leave the set. Like, you know. It wasn't like hang out. Yeah, it wasn't like it was a problem, but he's you know, he just wanted to keep working with them. So they they put it on him in that scene. They should they should have snuck him into like every scene that had a crowd (laughs) just for like shits and giggles. That would have been hysterical. Hassan, what do you got? You know, uh I told you guys a story before about like watching this, uh seeing this uh debut on uh HBO back in the nineties, back in probably ninety one. It came out in the 90s, so it would have been on HBO the year after, so 91. Yeah. And they made a big deal about it. It was like, you know, when it's, you know, when you're young, I don't know how old I was, I was 17, something like that. When you're starting to get the notion that people are talking about, like, you know, aspects of storytelling, whatever, that you don't understand, but you understand that they're important by the deal that they're making out of it. And they're talking about the, the movie, they're talking about, you know, the photography and you know how this piece of the you know this is a piece of the past that was made that was remade in modern times and then again uh, they were really talking about john tutorial because like kind of his breakout role it's the first time i ever saw john Tutrell, or first time i ever noticed him like you know like strongly took note of him i've probably seen other movies that he had after this before i had actually seen this but that's this first time i've uh I'd, notice of him and i watched the film in and of itself i thought it was really good but i didn't know i wasn't smart enough to make note of anything at the time it's kind of it stuck with me and then it just fell off my radar and it seemed to fall off the radar to the point where maybe 10 15 years later and i'm like what is that weird gangster movie with gabriel burn i think in it nobody you know where go is when I was really just starting seriously getting film and to and into writing, and then I just one day I, I literally looked up the name, I found the name Miller's Crossing, and I okay, I read that, and then a week later, I just happened on it uh, on DD and, and Best Buy, grabbed it, and I watched it. It just, uh, you know, like here, you know, when you're trying to learn how to write, don't start with a cover of this movie, you know. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. Not, I mean, just I have a better understanding of language now. Better understanding, you know, like how to use the world and how to use real uh, instance, you know, real 
patience with people and and in in, in your uh, your writing and your your material. And I, you know, I understand listening is more important than in, in being able to write, especially with dialogue. But you can't, like, when you're a kid, you just, you, you, writing is about watch one of these movies. You can't, especially a movie like Miller's Cry, you can't learn from that. Because there's, there's so much of how did they even put this sentence together? You know? Is it, how is it possible? It's, it's daunting. How yeah. is it possible? You know, okay, you get a sequence, and a guy kisses a girl, and then she bells him, then knocks him halfway. He throws a he throws his shot glass, and she says, "I bet you think you raised hell." You know, who who knows to have an anecdotal moment like that? You know, and I, just little stupid things like that, and I, get, I kept caught up in those those moments of. These these little like throwaway moments, just like you said earlier, Steve, about when you know they talk about Rug Daniels, like they took his hit. Jesus, that weird, you know. And he's like, kind of, <laughs> he's kind of hung up on that for a little while. Um, all the the casual way of just checking up uh, uh, iconography, you know, Albert Finney's sitting in the midst of this like amazing speech that he's first telling. I'm certain as fantastic. Of writers as those are, I, I, I went over that speech maybe a hundred times. They decided they got it just right because that is an amazing mm-hmm. opening volley. That kind of matches like the, the what's his name, my actor's name in the game of um. Oh man, never mind. What's that? Uh, Michael, uh, George Clooney, Laurie movie. Michael uh, Clayton. Michael Clayton. Colin. Clayton. Clayton. Yeah, Remember Clayton. the intro- introduction of Michael Clayton is a kind of other like kind of bombardment of, of language as a as what's his name is telling the yeah. story. And it's you know they're 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 you know they're neck and neck. There's just a main opening film and just kind of setting up the the circumstances, setting up the the chessboard it's about to happen. And you're you're listening to you're so many writing uh about like setting up buttons, right? The button that scene is basically ethics, right? So he'll start with ethics, and he'll in the in the you know in the he'll weave you know a sense of oh you know it's a colorful word come back to ethics, and at the end she says, you know, I'm talking about character, I'm talking about ethics, you know, and then in the in the process of this amazing speech, but Finney is sitting like a stone, staring at him, not moving, not nodding, his nothing. And then at the end of it, he goes, you, you, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's clear what I'm trying to, you know, what I'm getting at. He's as mud, right? As mud. <laughs> like when I was really young, I was like, what? As, like, I didn't even understand the anecdote. It's clear. Like, it's, it was just so over my head. All of it was so over my head. Watching it again, and I've seen this movie a hundred times. Watching it again today, I understand a little better, you know, Looking at a, at, a, at a Drew Struzan meeting, you know, understand it better, but you still don't, you know, like you still like, I just, I just don't understand uh, craftsmanship at this level. You know, I still, I still just don't. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Everything amazing. The sequence as a, as Latham said, when they scene where they rug Daniel, uh, <laughs> Wiggle and did scene is just amazing. That's painting. 
of a kid and his dog staring at a dead body in an alleyway yeah. with the sun behind him. You know, that's an amazing that's a piece of art, basically. Uh, and that's what happened mm. before when you see Sonnenfeld does his last film with him as a, a cinematographer. It kind of shows because this is probably more cinematic movies. You know, they, they still have the style and the, and the dialogue and the slickness, but there's there's just, as I said, iconography in this movie that, you know, that's just rare. I have not seen it in in at all in many of these. Like, it's it, starting all the way at the beginning, hat being blown up, you know, all the way down a, a trail, a, a deer in the woods. Fantastic film. I don't have anything negative to say about it. I understand what you're saying. I don't even care about the, the mirror you know like i've seen <laughs> i've seen worse mistakes in, in movies like like there are absolutely immature mistakes in, in indians in the, the temple of doom like these, these monster movies that we grew up you know in editing like, indiana changes indiana jones changes his shirt several times <laughs> in during the middle of a truck yeah. chase i mean come on <laughs> so, there, there's a continuity error in goodfellas that i can never get over and it's when um, when Henry is talking to Polly in one of the scenes, and and uh, Polly has a big stogie sticking out of his mouth from the over the shoulder shot, and they cut to the shot of his face, no cigar anywhere near. <laughs> and it's it, and it's literally like they intercut it. I mean, like it's so much more egregious than this. <laughs> I, I give I I give the mirror a pass, but like because they're so meticulous, I almost wonder if it's intentional. Yeah, no, it's not. It gets into <laughs> mythical as a filmmaker. Cooper is yeah. now. Did Cooper's do all of this yeah. on, on purpose? What's the secret of the yeah. mirror? <laughs> um, my, my rule is the first time you watch a movie, if you catch it or not. If you don't see it the first time and you enjoy the movie, that makes a difference. If you watch it five times and you catch it, well, of course, you're going to catch more stuff. But the movies you love, you usually love on the first viewing. And some, mm, yeah. some you develop later on, but I don't. Yeah, I, I, I or, or in some cases, there's a fire alarm and you have to leave in the middle of your. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. that's I love this outside before the... I understand what loving movies meant. You know what? It, there, there was more. Right. Uh, it. I can't. You know, I can't really have anything negative to say about it. It's a. It's a fantastic film. Uh, I must watch. I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed watching, and I probably will watch it probably tomorrow. Because I'll be asleep tonight. Guess we <laughs> take to bed. Um, and it's you know, it's a movie that you easily, for some reason, you e- easily forget. It kind of into weird uh, next space that you start to watch it. You remember everything, and then just kind of it yeah. it is outside of your immediate frame of reference for all other things. Just for me, but it's yeah, it's just it's just wonderful. Yeah. Solid gold. Yeah. It's like remembering Uh, a dream. It's like watching a dream that you remember. That's another good way to, it's just very familiar when you watch it time after time. Yeah. There is a certain comfort level with this movie where, you know, you're being able to, you, 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 when you put it into me, you start this movie, you just, you know, what's coming and it doesn't matter because it's, you're just, you can't wait to see it anyway. Yeah. It's just, you just, you just, you know, you know, everything that's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because it's just, it, it's all done so well that you just you just sit back and let, let, like you say you just almost like kind of like just float along with it and just kind of kind of exist co along coexist with the story um yeah. john polito and gabriel byrne were the same age in this film they were both 39 when they shot this wow. film 
And <laughs> apparently Polito said in an interview years later that um, he was super grateful for this film because he felt like at the time, because they were both 39, I think. And Polito was having a hard time kind of getting roles or finding his place in film at the time. And after this movie, he started getting more roles as a sort of older guy. And yeah. he was playing characters much older than he actually was. And this movie helped, he felt helped kind of Hollywood see him in an age range where they could actually slot him in better because he would go in for parts and he'd be like, you know, you're 40 years old. Okay. But you, you look 50, but or 60, but you know, you know, what are we going to do with you? But so he said, he claims that this movie actually helped his career from the standpoint that he helped him kind of define a position for himself in Hollywood, which I thought was a really interesting way to, to, to kind of look at that. Very humble of him because he kind of makes the movie, right? He's the, oh, yeah. he's the ball rolling on the whole thing, this entire poster of dialogue and, and you know, political intrigue that you're about to go on. And he effortlessly yeah. holds that entire scene together. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, when you, it's it's a it's a testament, I think, to the Coens and their uh, amazing ability to cast. Mm. And you know, when you look at, I think, some of the great directors, what one of the things that makes them great is casting. Because you know, Gabriel Byrne wasn't a big star. Albert Finney was was kind of a big star, and he was a last minute replacement. Um, this was Marcia Gay Harden's first movie ever. John Turturro was probably uh, coming off of like Do the Right Thing and some other stuff that he'd been in a couple of years, like a year before this. Yeah, he'd, he'd done 12 or 15 films, but I think all of them yeah. were really small roles. Yeah, his star was on the rise. Buscemi was relatively unknown. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I look at the movie and I'm like, I would not change one iota of the casting. They even Michael Jeter has like a th uh, throwaway, uh, where I, the guy who plays Adolf. Drop dead uh, Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he's like, "Hey, hey, do uh, do horses have knees?" And, and Gabriel Byrne says, "Fetlocks." He's like, yeah. "Well, if I was a horse, I'd be down on my fetlocks, betting, yeah. praying you don't bet on me." Oh my god! Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, when it comes to casting, uh, Julia Roberts, Demi Moore, and Jennifer Jason Lee all auditioned for Verna. Nice, and uh, they. Um, Jennifer Jane, he gets the Hudsucker, though. They came to her with Yeah, Hudsucker. exactly. They're, two they, movies later. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this was one of uh, three Coen Brothers films that were not edited by them. Apparently, they used to edit their own films under a under a pseudonym. Roderick James. Yes. And, uh, and the other two films that they did not edit themselves were Raising Arizona and The Hudsucker Proxy. Which I I think to, still is one of their their most underrated films. Oh, by far, and, and gorgeous, and it's an absolutely it's just like you, it's it's one of the first movies that I could tell was storyboarded from film. You know, like this has this. There's yeah. no way that these are captured. Scenes. These the, these are all planned shots. This is you know ridiculous. Well, one of the things that they always would do is they would subvert your expectations. So they make. Blood Simple, they come out hard with Blood Simple, this, you know, gritty noir story. And then they follow it up with, you know, Raising Arizona, which is like the Roadrunner versus the Coyote. And then they follow that up with a 19, you know, a, a Prohibition era right. mob story like this. And they do it every time. So, like, I remember, like, for instance, when The Big Lebowski came out, their 
previous movie was maybe their biggest one to date at that point, Fargo. And I think people were like excited to see something new from the Fargo people. And Lebowski could not be more different than Fargo. <laughs> right. And so it bombed. People didn't like it. And then, you know, it built probably the biggest cult following of any of oh them. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, apparently the Coen brothers, according to one report, turned down Batman in 89 yeah. because it would have interfered making this film. Would been crazy. Wouldn't you like to see the Coen brothers Batman? Oh, my goodness. Not that- really. I don't know. I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I love the Batman character so much that I think seeing takes of that character by like your favorite, your favorite directors, I think would be just a really interesting thing to, to, to see, you know, like what would, what would Oliver Stone do with Batman? You know, what would, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, <laughs> what would, what would Ridley Scott do with a Batman movie? Well, that's you like, know? Uh, you know, Spielberg was supposed to, what would Neil Blomkamp do with a Batman movie? Spielberg was supposed to return into Jedi. Imagine what that would have yeah. you know, but he could get there. And David Lynch was was also offered Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yes. Think how crazy that would <laughs> I would <laughs> find an eraser on. bed the racer had baby on Dagobah. Floating <laughs> <laughs> in the swamp. And it's 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 outrageous weird, but dude, I mean you you do uh, an inkling of what his statics for science fiction would have been like for, uh, for say, yeah, you know, it's true. The Jedi, he he had chops for the for the scenery. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny that the, apparently the line "Jesus, Tom" is said eight times in this movie. <laughs> 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 Jesus, Tom. I love the chair. I is love, fantastic. I, oh my god! When he hits Frankie in the face with the chair, and he just like doubles off, like hey, jeez, he likes to... <laughs> and then he's just sitting there with the chair, like, did I completely misread what was going to happen just now? And then the guy comes kick, you know, coming barnstorming yeah. through, throws hat. That's know? such a great shot yeah. when he when he's laying on the mm. ground, and you just see the doors break open with the cops, and then he gets kicked in the face, and he's out. That's just that's just. The timing on that is just so amazing, but yeah, this is this is one of the, like you said, this is this is a, this is a top five movie for me. This is one of my one of my favorite all time films. Uh, I, I I can't uh, uh, recommend movie this movie enough. If you've never seen it, and and if you have, go watch it again because it's worth the time. Yeah, totally it won't hurt you. And that's mil- <laughs> oh, hey, we uh, well, it's too late. We we didn't even talk about Carter Burwell's score, but uh, have you ever oh, heard? Yeah. Have you ever heard? Uh, there's a song called "Lament for Limerick." Um, that's yeah. like an old, like his score is basically just a, but it's like an old uh, Irish uh, folk song. Yeah, and I and I looked it up recently, and I was like, it is almost the same song. Yeah, he said it was a reworking of that for the main score, and I, it's actually a score that I, I went on and went out, and searched out, and found. Um, back when I used to buy occasionally would buy soundtracks. Uh, mm-hmm. Latham is a big soundtrack guy. And uh, this, this Carter, this is where I discovered Carter Burwell. Uh, and, and, and because like you said, and they recorded that version of Danny boy. Uh, the Coen brothers actually directed the recording of the song. So that would time correctly with that whole sequence. Mm like that the timing on Danny boy isn't exactly the way the song normally times out, but he actually directed it so that it would time out with all the beats hitting right at the right spots. That is, 
I, seriously one of my favorite sequences in any movie yeah. in history. I was watching it today, and, and I, I, I just didn't remember how many gunshots there are because he just keeps firing with the Tommy gun. And I'm just like, and I know that those, those barrel, those barrel cartridges hold like a hundred rounds, but I was like, in my head, I'm like, did he, he has to have burnt through those by now, but I, you know, that's the, that's the stupid shit I do when I'm watching a movie. But, uh, but yeah, I remember watching, watching the friend, he was watching it for the first time. I'm just sitting here with this. And, He's kind of passive about the whole thing. He's like, oh, it's not that, you know, he's laughing at appropriate moments with the with jokes and the humor and stuff like that. And the sequence, the, the sequence comes, you know, blasting by him and they're shooting at him. He's like, he's not taking cover. Shoots, shoots at the car just <laughs> further away. And then the car just slams into a tree and explodes. Friend was like, no fucking way. <laughs> Nailed them. No fucking way. That's the awesome thing I've with- ever seen. It was fantastic. He just well, it's like the, broke. It's, and it's like the scene with the shootout in front of the Irish club. It's like when they're they're, they're like 20 feet away from the from the storefront and there's 40 cops with guns just shooting into that storefront. And like the, yeah. there's people inside shooting out, but it's just it's hysterical. Because it's like when they do that one final cutaway shot when it's looking down the street and you're like they're only like 20 or 30 feet away from the building yeah. fronts. <laughs> oh, that's a fun movie. And so is this one. Uh, so, and it, so, you know, who's, who, who's the first kid who comes out, you know, like, come out with your hands. Like, come on, man. You know, right. Like, that's right. <laughs> got old, an arm they're, up they're there. Old, what did they're, he, <laughs> old buddy, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the Cohen brothers and and Sam Raimi go all go way back together because and, and they've like all worked on each other's projects. Evil you know. Evil Dead One, they, like uh, the yep. Cohen brothers were assistant editors on Evil Dead One. The um uh the the second AD on Hudsucker Proxy was Sam Raimi. He's the one who shot all of the footage of like the blue letter traveling through the or the letter, the yeah. mail going oh, through the air tubes. Second unit director. He also co wrote the script with him. Oh, did he really? Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's uh yeah, I, I know that uh, those guys are always working on each other's stuff, so. And that's Miller's Crossing. So, real quick, Ben, uh as you as you well know, we're going to hit uh we're going to hit the martini real fast and uh uh just go through the the very robust Cohen Brothers family of uh films and just kind of give us your give us your give us your top 3. It's so hard to say because there are so many great ones um, that it, it's, 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 it's just impossible. If you ask me 20 minutes from now, I might give you a, a completely different answer. But I would say Miller's Crossing, Big Lebowski, Fargo, maybe. But then um, they have movies like Inside Lewin Davis, which I saw twice. The first time I didn't care for it, but the music stuck with me. And then I went and saw it in the theater a uh, second time. Uh, well, I saw it the first time on an Academy screener. Then I saw it in the theater. And I was like, this movie is heartbreakingly brilliant. And I feel that way about a lot of their movies. Even like some of their movies that we really genuinely forget about and overlook, like Burn After Reading, uh, yeah. is surprisingly good on a second viewing. And you brought up Hudsucker earlier. And Hudsucker is a movie that I treasure. But again, if I was to narrow it down and say, I could only have three Coen Brother movies, period, uh, what I would say right now, and in this order, it would be 
Uh, Miller's Crossing, Big Lebowski, Fargo. Lay? Um, my top three are Raising Arizona 1, uh, Hudsucker Proxy 2, and hmm, probably go for No Country for Old Men 3. I think... I think they have a really bad movie. One, one really bad, and one really, two really overrated. I think the man who wasn't there is just garbage. Just Agreed. absolute garbage. Okay. Uh, I, I don't. That's the Billy Bob Thornton like one. That was the first movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Black and white. Yeah. I believe right. Black and yeah, white, kind of noir. Everything. Well, not everything before that, but at that point, I was like, these guys are declining, and then they didn't. But I really. <laughs> Really just dislike that movie. I think Oh Brother Where Art Thou is doesn't do anything for me. I uh, love it. Uh, it didn't never really connected with it. Okay. Uh, I think Big Lebowski is decent, but certainly not. It's I think it's just given way too much praise. I think it's a, a decent film. It's very culty. It, yeah, and I don't I don't connect I don't I don't, I don't buy the cultiness of it. I don't, I think it's got, well, it just didn't hit you that way, which is, yeah. which is, which is fine. You know, not every, you know, not every cult film is going to, that's the definition of a cult film. It's going to, you know, there's people who are going to see it and absolutely fall in love with it, no matter how good or bad it is. And, you know, and I, and I totally get it because I kind of agree with you. I, I think it's a good fun movie, but I don't think it's everything that the people who I know who like just go on and on about the big Lebowski, uh, claim that it is i just am like i i think it's a good coen brothers film but i think the saying it's a good coen brothers film is like saying it's a coen brothers film it's it's kind of what you expect um i uh yeah no country for old men is is one of those i i, re I really enjoyed their remake of true grit i i think that that mm -hmm. is a you know i've seen that a couple good. of i've seen that a couple of times uh, I, I would argue that I almost enjoy watching it more than the John Wayne version. Uh, and I'm a big John Wayne fan. Uh, I just think that at every, I mean, Jeff Bridges, is, Jeff, Jeff Bridges is one of those guys who it doesn't matter what role he's in. He's just, he's absolutely mesmerizing on screen. He's just too charismatic. He's just, it doesn't yeah, he just, he completely becomes the character and you don't, you don't see, you just assume that when you meet Jeff Bridges, he's going to be one of these guys that you've seen on screen before. And I just have the feeling that he's probably not any of them. You know, he's probably just somebody, something completely different. And you would just be like, wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. I met him once. He's kind of like the dude. It's his seriously. Really? That's he's funny. Just super, he's just super laid back. He's just super chill and laid the back. The dude is also his favorite awesome. character that he's ever played. According wow. to him. <laughs> Maybe because he, he, he didn't have to, to go. Had to do anything. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I Barton Fink had been built up so high by everyone by the time I saw it. It was one of those where I saw the movie the first time and I was just like, what the fuck are people even talking about with this? And it took me a couple of viewings to get Barton Fink. But uh, that's another one I that's another one I really like. But there's something about Blood Simple that still with me is just like I can sit and watch that movie. It's so clean. It's so raw. Uh, it's got so many great actors in it. Uh, there's just something about Blood Simple, uh, Blood Simple, Miller's Crossing, and and probably Hudsucker Proxy. I, I, there's just something about. I mean, I think it's the fact that Paul Newman's in it. I think is what is Perfect. what gets me every time. As I just you know that, and I mean, you know, you know, 
for the kids. There's just something <laughs> about it that you know, every time he every time he just draws a circle and it's something else that's just round, you know, and the last one being a frisbee is like the greatest thing. Sure, sure. But um sure, sure. Yeah, sure, sure. It looks like uh it looks like their new their newest film is gonna be uh distributed by A twenty four. Oh, good for uh, them. No, that's actually not a good thing. Well, that's not a good thing in your mind. Well, right. Well, I'm the one speaking right now, so obviously. But I think most people feel that A24 has a pretty great track record. I don't know, dude. I think they have a let a letdown track record for the ages, from what I'm looking at on their on their release movies right here. Okay. Just, well, this will be. I'm sure the Coen Brothers the will overcome that. What do you say? Uh, Hassan, top three uh, Coen Brothers. The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I'm sorry, but okay. that's my that's yeah, that's literally my favorite. Uh, the Hudsucker Proxy, my second favorite, and and Miller's Crossing. But see, the thing is, like, I Miller's Crossing comes in third because when I, like I said, when I started getting back into cinema and realizing that the Coen Brothers are were exceptional creators, it took it still took me a while to realize that the that that Miller's Crossing was a Coen Brothers movie. You know, it was oh, uh, wow. so it was pre, you know it's pre internet like pre-proliferation of internet and that kind of thing. So it's one of those things that you have to, you have to go exploring and discover things on your own. So that's why it's number three. Actually, the only Coen Brothers movie I don't like is Barton Fink. Mm. Um, okay. I don't, I don't. Have you seen, have you seen the lady killers or intolerable cruelty? Yeah. And they're not great, but I don't like Barton <laughs> Fink. There's a, I have a visceral dislike of Barton Fink. Like I just don't, okay. I just don't like it. Um, in and of itself, there's stuff inside it that I love, but there's it just overall like it's one of those. It's it's it, it gets us into it gets us into fountain territory. You know, it's Aronofsky territory where it just decides it's going to stop making <laughs> sense, and then it's you know it's open. It's one of those open to interpretation movies, and I, I it's not like I don't do well with them. I just don't. They don't. They don't do much for me personally. I like. I like yeah. knowing exactly what the guy is, you know, what the guy or guys or many people who had the hand in this particular production were trying to tell me whether or not I agree with the message. So it's just, that's just a personal pet peeve. Um, but yeah, I mean, in no country for old men is just, it's just utterly brilliant. It's just, you know, it's in a category by itself, but the book is brilliant. So I don't know if, you know, yeah. I, I, I give them absolute credit for adapting a crazy book um, into a crazy movie, but you know, it, a lot of the a lot of the credit goes to Cormac McCarthy, who came up with the story in the first place. And almost everything that you see in that movie is in that book. It's one of the most one gotcha. of the most faithful adaptations I've ever uh, seen by anything. Oh, so I've never read the book. Yeah, and there's there's actually more in the book. They just cut they, they but they don't change anything. Um, but there's, you know, there's just a little more embellishment about certain things. And then, uh, you know, Ed Tom, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tommy Lee Joe's character goes on and on a lot further than he does in the movie. You know, he, he rambles. <laughs> and I mean, but it's OK. But I mean, it, it is it is a lot more yeah. extended. Um, and a lot of their movies are you find out just as we found out with uh, Mills Crossing, a lot of their movies are adaptations. You know, they're great movies are adaptations or you know, borrow heavily from something. These people have have demonstrated to us 
that bond or you know using uh, uh, using pre-established uh, storylines or you know matter in 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 a way can still be turned into works of art. You know, it's not theft. It's the it's the it's a perfect representation of adaptation for as, as far as I'm concerned. So I have nothing bad to say about the Coen brothers. I just don't like Barton Fink. That's all. That's fair. <laughs> so That's entertaining fair. to Martin. If you don't like Barton Fink. I don't it, think it, it, it pairs really well with David Cronenberg's Naked Lunch in terms of <laughs> fucked up movies about writers that are very surreal and open to interpretation. So. I did, and I did not like Naked Lunch all that much. Um, you know, See, there you go. A per, like you said, a perfect. Uh, I don't like typewriters <laughs> that look like giant bugs. You know. Well, oh, I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. It is an amazing movie, but you, it, it's, it's one of those things you have to, you have to separate the, the, the 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 message from the from the delivery and then you can appreciate mm -hmm. what was delivered to you even if you didn't like the message that you were given with it you know um mm. and that's kind of how i that's where i put it i've seen naked line i've been through that i've been through that circus <laughs> i've <made> my <laughs> peace with it <laughs> uh, ben thank you very much thank uh, you for inviting me very a great pleasure to have you back um and we will Thank you for what we the, uh, what we refer to at, at Cinementals as a vacation week. Uh, that's yes. when we get two <laughs> movies, get to watch two two good movies that uh, that we've all seen. That we've, probably, <laughs> yeah, that we've probably all seen. <laughs> uh, very much appreciated. Some weeks, some weeks can some weeks can be more challenging than others, especially for Hassan when it comes to horror films. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you know, Ben, thanks again, man. I really thank appreciate you for having it. me. And uh, have a have a good night, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. Bye, All right. Take care. Bye. Amen. So, thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all of our previous episodes. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcast. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Ben Rock, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and hat-chasing gangster genius, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.